welcome to the Product Chat, Pragmatic Institute's webinar and podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product teams. My name is Rebecca Calajaris. I am the Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and more importantly to you, host for today's event. I am hosting as the wonderful Georgina Donahue, who usually hosts, is out on a maternity leave. Um, many of you are familiar with Pragmatic Institute, but for those of you not aware of us until today, welcome to the family. Uh, Pragmatic Institute specializes in training companies on how to be truly market and data-driven. We provide techniques for listening to the market, gathering market facts, key data, and then using that information to shape strategies and drive execution. Uh, and we've been doing this and doing it quite successfully for about 25 years. Um, enough about us, but before we get started, let's go through just a couple of housekeeping items. First, yes. A recording of this webinar and a copy of the slides will be available after today's event. You'll be able to access them online, and we're also going to send out an email with a link to the recording as well. Second, questions. We love questions, and we've got two ways for you to ask them. Uh, for questions for Ebony, the guest, please use the Q&A box, and we'll be tackling questions asked throughout at the end of the presentation. We've also got a chat box for conversations and exchanges or questions with your peers. So feel free to use both. All right. Uh, every month, our webinar series, our goal is to bring insights, best practices, and stories from the trenches and from experts in the field. And today, we are going to do just that. We are extremely excited to have Ebony Shears, Vice President of Product at Forbes, here to do it with us today. Uh, Ebony has had a lengthy career across all facets of media industry with experience in television, publishing, digital media, product marketing, and more. Uh, currently, she leads a team of 19 product pros focused on the strategy and delivery of products and features that supports Forbes core ad-supported digital publishing business. But I think what you're really going to find today is so much of the, of the areas and, and, and opportunities and problems that, that Ebony is dealing with at Forbes, we're all dealing with in our different uh, roles, whether we have software or hardware products or, or something like digital media. So lots of great things. But real quick, before we pop in, and I want to make sure we give Ebony plenty of time, a quick word about the Pragmatic Alumni Community. If at any given time you have been to a pragmatic course, you are a member of the pragmatic community. And we would love to also have you know, you're the big community, right? Things like the webinars and the, the QA and the office hours. But if you have not had the opportunity to log into the pragmatic community, uh, the online community, you really should. It is such a great place of conversations, peers, peers from all different industries, sharing best practices, sharing different tools, sharing like their examples of their positioning documents, their roadmap documents. So definitely want to make sure you check it out. And it's their community and the great team behind it, like Callie, who's hosting right now, who makes all these events possible. So a wonderful community, highly recommend. Um, but that's it. Without further ado, Ebony, please take it away. Hello, I was about to have one of those, you're muted moments. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone and happy Wednesday. Thank you for joining. Um, I obviously am here to talk a lot about some of the work that we've been doing more most recently at Forbes, but I hope that the message that you take away from this is that you may also find yourself in a similar 
um, place as product pros, engineers, uh, people who build things um, and work for companies that have business goals and, and need to uh, address changing market dynamics, consumer dynamics, user dynamics, whatever the case may be, and are looking to do things from scratch in a way that you haven't before um, or in your or your company may not have done before. So let's jump right in. This is me. Um, and just so you know, um, you know, media industry is my domain expertise. A lot of you may have experienced conversations around, you know, your way into product. Um, and my a lot of my way into product is domain expertise. I'm not, you know, I have enough technical knowledge. I know our users now, but that wasn't my way in. Um, but I really do understand the media industry because I've been working in it for 20 years. Um, I've been at in product at Forbes for uh, just over five years. Um, as Rebecca said, I have a team of eight. I, I told, I, I don't know, I might have missed someone when I told you when I put 18 here, I heard you say 19. There's probably someone on my team that I missed, or we also have some new people joining in the, in the coming weeks. Um, my, my, I put in unconventional as my path, as a descriptor for my path to product because I don't know that there is a conventional path, right? Everybody kind of comes from product. You hear stories of people who come from product to come to product from places that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, but that being said, I began, I, I um, studied finance in college, began my career in financial services, then started working in media and various marketing PR capacities. I was a television producer. Um, I was a digital strategist and found my way into product after having worked with product people um, in some of those roles. Um, I'm an INFP. And my disc profile is influence. It shouldn't say disco, although that's fun too. <laughs> I apologize for the typo there. Um, for people who pay attention to, to personality profiles. Um, but let's talk about Forbes for a minute. And I just want to set a little bit of context uh, for the, the other things that I'm going to talk about. You know, this Forbes is a 104-year-old brand. We've been spending that time chronicling, chronicling success, whether in finance or business and uh, um, entrepreneurial capitalism. Um, and we're entering a new era because of some of the things that I spoke about before in terms of changing dynamics in our business um, and our market. Um, so, um, sorry, I just had to move something on my screen. So yeah, so we're faced with a lot of the challenges that exist for our companies across many industries. We are in a legacy industry, you know, publishing media has been around for ages. <laughs> um, we are a legacy brand. A lot of people know Forbes. They may not know what Forbes is doing right now today, but you know, there you would be hard pressed to find many people who don't recognize who you're who you're referring to if you say the brand, if you say the word Forbes. Um, and our and legacy product in many ways. I mean, Forbes has actually been admirably at the front of innovation in our industry and very much dedicated and committed to innovation, but we, our product our suite of products does support where our business has been. And so one of our challenges is looking to how do we adjust that for where we need to go. Um, and all of that factors into the fact that many across our company will have a legacy mindset that's tied to, you know, the way that things have always been done. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people may um, find as a familiar refrain in their companies. Well, this is how we've always done it. And, um, you know, I think it's not a chronic um, issue at Forbes, but certainly, you know, it is. It can be a challenge in working with some of our stakeholders. Um, but there is opportunity and constant reinvention, and a lot of the innovation. 
that I mentioned and further transformation of our business. And so right now what we're focused on is diversifying our revenue. Um, as a digital publisher, we are primarily um, dependent on display advertising revenue. And what that is, is basically the ads that you see on pages on our site. When you land on an article to read an article and there's ads on that page, that's what in digital publishing we call display advertising. Um, cultivating loyalty, as I'll talk a little bit about, to the point of reversing growing revenue, we've also been exploring subscription products and people don't buy things from you unless they have some degree of loyalty to you. So really think about thinking about our suite of products and, and the work that we do through the lens of the ways in which we can cultivate loyalty is a really important piece for us. Um, and growth. Um, not only growing our, our core ad supported business, but looking at these um, revenue diversification initiatives as a way to grow the company and the brand. Um, so just a little, some, some big numbers. Um, we currently uh, have about 170 million monthly page views, 90 million average unique monthly users, um, and the company valuation is of about 630 million. And that is related to the fact that you may have heard Forbes has recently decided to go public by um, by a SPAC. <laughs> if most of, some of you probably know who that, what that is. I'm not going to go into it. It's not important for the purposes of this discussion, but Google it. Um, and so last November, we launched a metered paywall, which was our first major consumer revenue focus since Forbes, Mag Forbes magazine. Um, and a metered paywall basically just means you're able to read a certain number of articles before we require you to subscribe. We meter, we count um, how many articles you've read and then ask you to subscribe. Uh, we launched a paid newsletter product in 2021, and that's what I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about today. Um, and we have lots more subscription product experimentation in 2021 with some products like what we call Forbes AI Investor and Forbes Digital Assets, which are both geared towards certain segments of uh, the investing community. Um, and so, you know, where we've been looking to diversify revenue, all of these things are areas where we've never been before. And so not only is it um, a new product, it's a new um, user profile, it's a new um, you know, business imperative, there are lots of new ways in which we need to look at our business and our, and our ongoing product development um, in a way that pushes us in areas that we have never been before. So, oops, sorry. So what does that mean for, what does any of that mean for us? We're at a major inflection point for our business. Um, there are a lot of expectations, especially with us going public around growth um, increasing exponentially um, and like I was just mentioning, we have to really think about our audience segments in a slightly different way. Um, and as well as competing internal priorities, one of the things that I think that you may um, find if you find yourself in a position that you're experiencing some of the things that I've described is that there are going to still be people in your company that think that that thing that they've been doing for the last 10 years is still the priority and it still may be their priority, especially when you know you have salespeople which probably many of you do in your companies whose in personal. Um, you know compensation is tied to how they perform the job that they've been doing for the last 10 years, and so there will be conversations about competing priorities that need to be negotiated. Um, for us what's been really important too is a shift in thinking from users to customers, and the reason that that's important is that. Um, you know, as a publisher and with display advertising being our primary um, uh, method of, of acquiring revenue, um, 
users coming to our site, just getting you to our site has been our mandate, right? Because we get impressions on those ads and all you have to, all we need you to do is just come show up on the site and read the article. Um, for customers, like I was mentioning before, we have to actually convince you to pay us for something, right? And so you need to, we need to be thinking about our audience segments in a way that help tells us more and more about them so that we know what offer to make them, what content to put in front of them, a lot of personalization and those kinds of things, but really the way in which we can cultivate loyalty among these users and and convert them into customers. Um, it also means that there's an evolving ro role of product in the organization and a real opportunity for um, the, the transformation of our business to be led by product. Um, so the reasons that this may seem a little familiar to you, even if you are not in digital publishing, um, and the ways that you can sort of translate um, our place uh, to where you are right now is that you may have a really strong brand, right? Forbes is a strong brand and that is a that is an asset that you can leverage as you look um, to frame the ways in which you move forward with things that you haven't done before. You can always go back to what does a brand stand for and how are we uniquely positioned to make this offering to, to solve this problem um, and to you know, put this particular product into the marketplace. Um, opportunity, right? I mean, that I think that kind of speaks for itself. Um, but there is a lot of opportunity presented by the newness and the a little bit of the unknown and the mandate to grow the business presents opportunity. Um, obviously, excitement when we just when you know when a company can decide to go in a, in um, a new direction, um, it can create some anxiety, um, especially when it comes to the unknowns. But by and large, you'll also find pockets of excitement. And it's really um, up to you and a really great opportunity to leverage that um, to benefit the, the decisions that you're going to make in the direction that you go. Um, your technology, you know, even though you're, you're treading new ground, hopefully you've been spending a lot of time with, um, you know, your team, your engineers, your designers, um, building things that are already pretty good. Um, and so you want to really look for ways to leverage that. And I will talk a little bit about how we've done that as well. And obviously great people. I mean, I'm going to assume that you work with some, with some great people um, in your organization. Uh, the other stuff that's, you know, not necessarily in the things you have going for you category is uh, again you're just there's things that you that have never been done before and it's sometimes it's really difficult to wrap your head around where to start um and how to how to frame and map out a path forward um you're going to end up with many opinions um in a lot of cases little data or insight because of the fact that you, these are things that you've never done been done never done before ways that you've never considered your audience um, or your users before um and people especially when we're talking about the internet um people have opinions based on their own experiences on the internet and their own preferences and it's important to always keep in mind that they are not necessarily your users um and so as much as you and i will Again, get to this, but as much as you can start learning quickly and gathering data and insight quickly, um, the better positioned you are to have a lot of those conversations that to rebut people's opinions when it makes sense. Um, product thinking isn't universal. Everybody in your company or organization doesn't think like a product person. And so there is a lot of um, bringing people along and really helping them understand, you know, a product person's approach to experimentation and data and, you know, user, user, user personas and all of those things. Um, and also your organization and team structure as it exists may not necessarily easily align with where you're going as a company. And, um, you know, 
you know, what that really will, um, the way that that will really show up is that a lot of times as the product person, if you're tasked with creating these new things, you may end up having to do some things that's not product's job, um, just for the sake of making sure that um, everything's buttoned up and you are able to move forward with a plan that really makes sense. Um, the, the, you know, one of the big challenges is that even though you're doing the new things, you're, you're starting out with in a, in a new direction, you know, you can't just throw everything out and start over. I mean, wouldn't that be a luxury? Let's just toss everything out and, and start over from scratch and build everything the way that we that we would like to um, from the beginning. Um, it just wouldn't make sense. There's too much good stuff in place, but um, you know, keeping a lot of these dynamics and things in mind are ways that you can really start to leverage um, what you have in place and also define um, new ways, new paths forward. So. Let's talk about tactics. Um, and where do you even start? You know, when you're gonna when you're starting, there's gonna be a lot of uh, questions that you need to start answering. Really basic questions, right? Who needs to be involved in your company? Um, how can you start learning quickly, as I mentioned, so that you can start gathering data that will inform the direction that you go um, as you continue to develop products? Um, you need to get confidence from management and stakeholders. What does success even look like um, for whatever it is that you're looking to do, um, et cetera, et cetera. I will say one big and one important thing I consider is really getting team and your team and collaborators involved early because everybody has good ideas. I think one of the challenges of um, being in a place where you are starting something new, especially as product people, is relying entirely on your own ideas, right? That I think you don't, that is the, the last thing that you want to do is like go sit in a corner at your desk and toil away and be like, I came up with this great idea and here's what we're going to do because you, there's just too much, there's a wealth of knowledge in the people that you're, you've been working with. And so, you know, you should tap into, um, into their perspectives as well. Um, and you know, an approach that we've really leaned into this year is using pilots as a way to validate new products and businesses for for Forbes. Um, you know, a pilot is you know, it can be considered a sort of a fancy MVP, right? Like a pilot is really just saying, let's put something out into the market to test the waters and see if this is something that we can or want to uh, pursue more broadly and, and that we can start to learn from um, so, that we, so that we can start answering some of those questions and define the problems that need to be solved. Um, it's really important that you figure out if you, just, if you decide to go down the route of um, implementing a pilot, um, that you figure out very at the very beginning what you need your pilot to tell you, right? What is the purpose of the pilot? Is it a technical proof of concept? Is this to validate an idea with a particular audience? Um, there's, there's all kinds of things that a pilot can do for you. So let me talk to you a little bit about one of the pilots that we um, launched earlier this year. Um, it, it's Internally, we call it JE newsletters, and JE stands for Journalist Entrepreneurs. And you know what I'll say is that it began as an idea that was like, hey, you know, you know that Substack thing. You guys probably know Substack. You know, we can probably do that. We not only have a staffed newsroom, but we have a couple of thousand what we call contributors. Um, who are people, you know, business people, some writers, um, and other people who write for Forbes.com. If you come on our site and you'll see the byline, it'll say contributor or senior contributor. Those people are not Forbes employees, but um, they do write for Forbes.com. And we thought, we figured because we have this relationship with 
all of these writers and also are a platform, again, going back to the brand, the strength of our brand and the strength of our 170 million page views and 90 million visitors a month, we could offer that to our well of contributors as a way for them to monetize um, audiences that they have established, that they have uh, established trust with certain readers, and we would be presenting them an opportunity to monetize that in the, in the form of paid newsletters in a way that would potentially rival Substack. I mean, I don't know that Substack was the, the, the most important model, but we weren't necessarily trying to compete with Substack. I do want to put that out there. Um, but here's where we started. It was, we started literally with just a statement of what is this supposed to be? And what what is the pilot? What is it? You know, the pilot is going to use a small, diverse group of journalists for discovery, and we'll run it for three to six months. Um, and here's the the big idea. Um, you know, a lot of times going into these new areas requires big bets. Um, you can't always do things incrementally, and this for us was one of those those really big bets. But the beginning was let's just lay out, let's just write it out. What is this meant to be? Then from there. We went to okay. What is the pilot meant, actually meant to do with us? Um, and here's what we came up with. We wanted to affirm. I'm going to read this. I'm not going to read many slides, but I am going to read this one. We wanted to affirm the critical business marketing, editorial, product, and technical elements required for full implementation and scaling of this model. Scaling was really scale was really important. Establish a value proposition for the journalists who would sign on versus competitive offerings. So, you know, that was not as much consumer focused, but we needed to establish for the writers that this was a legitimate option for them to monetize their audience um, and, and share the revenue with Forbes. Um, define the ways in which Forbes platform and reach can be leveraged to support the product. That goes back to what technology do we have in place um, and what have we built that can support uh, this, this new business that we were looking to go into. Um, validate the concept that Forbes readers are willing to pay for quality content from creators they trust. Um, as you'll see in a, in a minute, um, we this actually ended up being a slightly less important one um, because we really just didn't want to rely rely he that heavily on like can we actually like you know in the course of a pilot make a ton of money on this thing um, but we did find we did get some results that that were encouraging on this point um, assess how successfully authors can prove out the value proposition for these newsletters delivering the quality and volume of content worth paying for um, so I think a lot of people will think that they can monetize their audience with a newsletter, but then when you have to actually produce a newsletter every week that people are willing to pay for, it may seem like more than more of a challenge than they initially expected. And so we really needed to validate the fact that these authors would actually be able to um, build, you know, leverage and continue to grow an audience of um, paid subscribers. Um, and then de determine how a freemium offering can serve in a, as an effective, excuse me, an effective funnel for conversion. Um, so um, one of the really important things, sorry, this thing has a little bit of a delay on it. Um, it's that's critical to something like a pilot is that you need to define whether you're trying to validate if this is something you want to do or how you would do it. Um, 
And that the reason that's important is it really does go back to defining the goals of the pilot and what success looks like. Um, for Forbes, we had decided this is a business that we want to go into. So for us, it was how. It was the pilot was meant to validate how can we um, encourage writers with best practices around how to how to monetize and build and continue to build their audience. How can we convert engaged readers to paying subscribers? How can we scale content production of newsletters in a way that makes sense for us? How can we scale um, the promotion of these newsletters across our platform um, in a way that supports the convert the kind of kind of conversion that we'd be looking for? Is it? Oh yeah. Um, and then, then we took a step and this is just, um, we just laid out, how would this work? Because again, we're trying to validate how, how we would do this. And so we literally just outlined each of the main buckets um, of sort of tasks and problems that needed to be solved in order to build this out as a full business. Um, those are cre you know, creation and onboarding. Creation meaning a new um, property, basically, a new newsletter property. We have a, a CMS that we built from the ground up, a content management system, which our newsroom and contributors use to publish content articles to the site. So we wanted to address the creation of a new writer and publication in the form of a newsletter within that CMS and an onboarding process that can scale again, um, because we, we having a manual process where an individual would need to manually onboard every uh, journalist entrepreneur who wants to write a newsletter, uh, given that potentially we would open this platform up to, you know, the thousands of writers that we have as contributors is not something that would scale. Um, we're talking about authoring as basically writing and publishing your newsletter. Um, we use an ESP for our, our free editorial newsletters right now, as you know, a lot of companies do. Um, but it's not scalable to provide several hundred writers access to our ESP in order to author and publish their newsletters. And so we wanted to move that authoring into our own CMS um, and connect it with um, our ESP in a way that would make sense um, and support all of the features and dynamics that we needed to in terms of being able to publish to specific lists, um, uh, publish to a, uh, have it um, the newsletter appear in a particular template, things like that. Um, and again, publishing, authoring was the actual writing. Publishing is actually the second piece that I was just talking about in terms of actually hitting send on a newsletter. Um, and subscribing, which is more the, the consumer, uh, the consumer revenue side of things, which is all of the pieces that are involved in signing someone up to a free trial, understanding when their free trial has expired, encouraging them before the end of their free trial to purchase a subscription, um, creating landing pages and elements on um, articles. One of the things I will say that we decided to do with this is that even though these writers are publishing newsletters, we decided that they would also simultaneously publish content, publish that same content to our site um, so that we could potentially leverage it for, um, from the uh, standpoint of SEO and get people to those articles. But when you landed on the article, it would be um, paywalled. So adding those elements to the articles that that would constitute the paywall on those articles uh, we like like i mentioned last year we 
um, implemented a metered paywall, and we did that with the help of a partner called Piano, which is a platform that enables all of the subscription models and, and elements that I'm talking about now. And so it was a matter of making, you know, our CMS, our, e, our ESP, Piano, our various databases, user information databases, making sure that all of those things are um, talking to each other, exchanging the right data, and that the, the simultaneously the experience from the user side is seamless and as frictionless as possible, especially when you're trying to get people to, to subscribe to things. Um, the promotion piece I talked about a little bit already. How do we promote this across our site? Are there other ways in which we need to promote this out on social, et cetera? And then, of course, what's really important is, is stats and reporting. Um, stats for, for the purposes of this is really um, stats that we provide to writers that tells them how their content is, is performing. It's part of our CMS that currently, uh, or at this point, was only reporting on the stats for the content that they were the articles that they were publishing to the site and so we needed to think about what what are the key metrics that would make sense for a newsletter writer how do we incorporate that and also and report to them but also what kind of data and reporting is important for us internally to measure the success of this um, and so, you know, as 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 we've mapped this out, and then under each of these, it just has very specific sort of, you know, some user stories, just really a definition of what exactly it is we're looking to do here. Um, but what's really important from the standpoint of a product pro, product professional, is that you know, when you're starting from scratch like this, it really is important that you have the ability to synthesize a lot of inputs into things that make sense, right? And things that not only make sense to you, but things that make sense in a way that you can actually communicate them to your team of engineers, to your team of designers, to your team of, sorry, to your internal, inter internal stakeholders, um, and really being able to tell the story in a way that makes sense. Um, as I mentioned before, you may need to just do some things that aren't technically your job, um, but it, it, they will be important to moving things forward. And some of that will be, uh, we'll write the promotional copy for our on-site promotions. Uh, we'll design the those those um, you know house ads because there just wasn't someone that was tasked with doing those things in this dynamic. Um, and then just really the ability to align with uh, stakeholders on what success looks like. And so what I will say is that what you're looking at here on the screen was the, you know, the the big the big bet. This like if we build out this entire thing as a business, this is everything. But your little subtitle type title will tell you how do you define an MVP of an MVP, right? And what I mean by that is that. The pilot is itself considered a bit of an MVP, and so this is not a definition of everything we're looking to build out in the pilot, but we need to take this entire spectrum of problems to be solved and figure out what is the what is the MVP that we need to build in order to, to validate the things that we have decided um, need to be validated as part of this, this pilot. And so what we decided were mo was most important was um, obviously authoring, getting the authoring of newsletters into our CMS so that it can happen there as opposed to in, in our um, or at our, e our um, ESP, our email service provider. Um, getting the um, 
decreasing friction and making a lot easier the process of creating a new publication within our CMS, meaning um, a new adding a new author or looking at an existing writer and giving them the capability to publish newsletters via the CMS. Um, obviously, on the front end, the pieces that are core to the ability to actually subscribe um, that was that had that was MVP that was table stakes um, having a you know, email templates that support this particular product. I mean, it's it's a pretty simple thing, but it had to be part of the MVP. This needed to look like a new product um, and not like, you know, a lot of our editorial newsletters or something else that, that we may um, push out by email. Um, figuring out what the pipes are, what pipes we needed to build out for promotion on site. That's everything from, um, we have like inline uh, email, opt-ins, like if you're on an article page, you'll on inline in that article, you'll get a prompt that says, hey, well, you might want to sign up to this email. Uh, we also have experimented with, um, you know, what a lot of people find annoying, but they're effective, which is why you see them anywhere, everywhere, which is pop-ups on the site, encouraging you to, to sign up to these emails. Um, and related to that, um, we did find that a very important piece of promotion and segmentation and subscription was our ability to really segment these audiences based on and, and make offers to them based on things that we know about them. So if we know as a Forbes.com visitor that you have read this kind of content or that you have an affinity for these particular topics or you already subscribe to this other product or you follow these particular authors, which is a feature that's on our site, you're able to follow authors based on all of these kinds of things, where you came from, right? What the referral source was. Did you come from search? Did you come from social? Did you come from an email? Um, based on all of these things that we know about you, we want to be able to make a decision on the page about what to put in front of you and how that would make sense. And that would be core to our ability to really, number one, test out how to scale that, but also see what levers we could pull in order to um, optimize conversion in the process. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what happened <laughs> with this pilot. Um, it, it was a sticks and glue pilot is, is what I will, and, and, and I think some of our engineers will, will describe it as a sticks <laughs> pilot, not with no glue. Um, it was very, uh, it was held together very tenuously. And, you know, it was the pilot actually, uh, the, the first part, first, excuse me, the first phase of the pilot actually did not support the publishing of emails to uh, via our CMS. We did start with a true MVP and a handful of writers who we gave access to the ESP and had them publish there. We decided that for the our MVP of our MVP meant that we wanted to get something out quickly um, and that giving them the access to publishing via the ESP with the support of onboarding of actual manual onboarding was the way to go. Um, and so that's why I call it a sticks and glue uh, or sticks and glue pilot. Um, some what we learned is that some people actually will pay for premium content from writers they value. Um, we found out that our CMS can support scaling newsletters. Second phase of our pilot has been actually building this, this functionality into our CMS um, and in a way that supports this business. And even if we decide at some point not to go down this road, it's not work that was a waste because there is value in our ability to be able to publish um, newsletters via our CMS in, in a lot of cases. Um, 
And again, it, it really help, helped us really define the ways that we would scale our CMS to support something like this, but also gave us ideas about how we might rethink some of our CMS setup to support different kinds of um, products that we may want to offer our writers access to. Um, we overdid it on the MVP. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that uh, I'll say specifically one example is that phase two of our for phase two of our MVP, we actually did build out this really robust onboarding process for new authors who would want to participate in this journalist entrepreneur newsletter um, business. And it just ended up, we just didn't need to do it, right? I mean, we could we could have moved forward with the MVP, not stress out people as much as they were stressed out to deliver these things in the timeframe that we wanted it to deliver, to be delivered um, at, without including the onboarding piece. And so that was something that we learned um, and I think would inform our approach to something like this in the future. Um, we learned that writer recruitment has to be strategic because every, number one, every writer does not necessarily have the audience that they uh, the engagement with their audience as they that they think they can and what i mean by that is the engagement um that supports conversion to subscribe to a subscription also some writers don't they they um aren't able to produce the high value content at the cadence that's required to support this kind of business um, the model may compete with other emerging subscription products, right? And so, for example, we had one newsletter that was um, written by a guy, uh, his name is Tony Nitty, and he is a tax expert. And his newsletter has been the best performing of the newsletters that we launched as part of this pilot. But he, prior to the launch of this pilot, he was also the highest converting author for our um, metered paywall. So with a, a switch, in him moving to publishing his highest value content via newsletter, certainly the potential is that there's a hit on the paywall conversion, right? And so because we are at a company where we are trying out so many new things and so many different products and trying to really establish product market fit for a lot of these things, we are learning where there we may have some competing um, subscription products that we may need to just reconsider um, the mix of, or at least how we offer or potentially, potentially bundle things. Um, we also determined that this offer actually requires a lot of marketing support to see success. This is not because of the breadth and uh, amount of content that we publish, because of all of those page views and all of those users. It's difficult. It's not. It's not the kind of thing that people sort of just find on their own. We did. We found that all of the writers were not as proficient at promoting their own newsletters as they could have been. But also, part of the value proposition to them was that we would support it with our platform. And so we did find that in able to, in order to be able to support this business, we would need a lot of marketing support. Um, and that, and also the writers need a lot of support around best practices, right? A lot of them haven't done this before. And so we did definitely um, find that we needed to really, um, we couldn't, that just setting them up and and, and telling them go was not the uh, approach that we would be um, most valuable to us in terms of scaling this. 
Um, I think within all of this, when you're approaching, you know, these brand new things and it feels like the wild west right and it's important to remember though that even though you might be swimming in the waters of the unknown you know core product principles still apply um, and can also provide structure where there might otherwise be none so things like focusing on your user at your users and your user personas and how you're segmenting your audience really being able to um define who who the what the thing is who who it's for, <laughs> the thing that you're building, who it's for. Um, alignment with business value and the goals of the business, right? Like that is a core product principle that we are looking to solve user problems or address user needs in a way that delivers value to our business. Um, collaboration, I think it goes without saying, and I think I, I underscored this um, a lot in the beginning in terms of really getting your uh, your team involved, but also collaborating with stakeholders on um, defining the parameters of a pilot and being able to really be clear about what you're building and what success looks like. Um, experimentation is really important, being able to develop hypotheses um, and find ways to validate um, your hypotheses along the way. Uh, continue to be important and obviously prioritization things like considering do we really need this onboarding is the onboarding piece really key to this MVP and being able to prioritize um, the pieces that really make sense. Um, a little bit more on how this performed um, we launched for our pilot six initially six uh, premium newsletters and we onboarded those authors in phase two of the pilot onto our enhanced publishing platform our cms where they can actually publish their newsletters there um, our focus now is on optimizing the pages that support this this product excuse me the landing pages our articles and figuring and testing and more experimentation around actual subscriber conversion while we figure out the best way to make sure that we have the right content in these premium newsletters um, and we'll continue to evaluate performance to determine how to deliver value with this product in the contents of our overall subscription strategy, like I was saying before, where we, we are seeing um, areas where there's overlap and potentially competing products, but we have um, about a thousand paying subscribers to these newsletters so far, which is, represents about 1.3% of the total audience and the audience I mean is that people who are subscribed in some way to these premium newsletters, we have about 72,000 free subscribers and that means something a little bit different depending on which newsletter it is it could be you're, you've signed up to you know three weeks worth of free newsletters before we would require you to subscribe some authors have chosen to um, publish free newsletters consistently to an audience and look for opportunities to convert them um, along the way but that they always they would always get free newsletters um, and so again that would include the um, the 72,000 all of those those would include the 72,000 free subscribers um, but we have gotten in about a thousand paying subs as well which is um, encouraging for something like this um, we have an open rate of a, um, more than 40% on these newsletters um, and an average churn of under 6%. And the reason that these are important um, have to do with retention um, and being able to in, uh, rely on uh, the fact that people will continue to renew their subscription because they're finding value in the content that they're paying for and the authors that they trust. Um, Let's see. Okay, so very quickly, I just want to talk a little bit about about leadership in this context, um, because, you know, I think it's really important 
uh, to note as product leaders that when you're finding yourself in the position of needing to guide a team through things like this, that uh, there's a few things that I would put out there that are important. Um, recognizing who on your team can lead this. Everyone, um, uh, you know, th there may be people on your team who are really amazing product managers um, in the context of what you've been doing. Um, I will say my experience when it comes to this and some of the other things that we have been doing from scratch is that everyone is not equipped to spin something up from scratch and really, as I was saying before, synthesize a lot of inputs, be able to tell the story, be able to get people involved. Um, and so you really have to recognize who on your team can lead this kind of effort. Um, also providing the, the appropriate amount of context and setting clear expectations for the team. Uh, none of this is really you know, new stuff, but I think it just, these are the, the things that I would say are most important in, in, um, in the context of, of starting up these, these never been, been fun, excuse me, never been done before at your place of work initiatives. Um, also, it's important for you to be the voice for driving the evolving role of the product team where your company really is looking for product-led transformation. Um, and then finally, just take care of your team, right? Like they're going to feel a lot of pressure because people are going to be anticipating, you know, the success or, or like the excitement of this thing. And, and sometimes there are going to be deadlines that will be difficult to meet. And so I think it's just really important that you really take care of them, that you act as a little bit of a buffer when it makes sense between stakeholders and executives and the team that's really um, working hard to deliver against um, you know, this new, this new thing. And, and, and the reason that I have this, how we work slide up is because this is, um, how our, our product team is organized into sort of four, um, tracks and, um, content experiences is kind of our front end, um, front end team. Uh, our platform is our CMS and the other publishing tools, publishing and promotion tools for our site. Uh, user engagement and subscriptions is really focused on consumer conversion and optimization, registered user experience, account preferences center, um, and then our data products team. And they're the ones that are responsible for the stats that I mentioned that we provide authors, as well as all kinds of other data-driven decision-making um, for our newsroom and contributor network. And, and, and as you may expect, based on how I described the JE pilot and our MVP, it's required the participation of all these teams, right? We've had to sort of put together a hit squad that's that was dedicated to the definition and implementation of the pilot, the MVP, and how we move things forward. And so it's really important to um, have that kind of as a, as the as a product leader being able to identify the ways in which you need to um, encourage and cultivate collaboration for these kinds of efforts when, especially when everything is new. Um, finally, just a note that there are other po pioneering experiments <laughs> underway. Um, you know, again, sometimes it requires big big bets, and sometimes it's it's redefinition of what best what best practices look like within your organization. But we're going to continue to look at um, ways that our paywall makes sense for our business, especially in the context of what I was saying before about competing subscription products. Um, Forbes AI Investor is one of those um, subscription products that's really ge um, geared toward uh, individual investors and providing AI-powered investing information. Um, and then Forbes Compass, which is a really brand new thing for us, but will be a platform, um, we hope, for small business 
communities to connect on connect get content educational um, content uh, potentially uh, financing resources and all kinds of other things and we're definitely in the very early stages of figuring out what that what a pilot for that may look like um, so that's what I've got and feel free to hit me up on email or LinkedIn if you um, would like to connect. Awesome. All right, Ebony, we have a ton of really good questions that came in, which is always my favorite part. I think <laughs> one of my favorite parts of your story too is just how relatable it is, right? I mean, I know that's just probably not a huge portion of the audience who works in the same type of organization. But when you talk about the challenges of, you know, product isn't understood everywhere, and we've got to be able to pilot and, and we're sort of changing who the, the focus is from customer users and freemium and scale, like those are things we all deal with all the time. So uh, real quick, uh, before we pop into the questions, we do have a quick survey. It's like a one minute survey, just not even one minute. But if you could just answer these questions uh, and then I will pull up the questions and we'll start I will tell you, Ebony, just as a preview, uh, lots of questions digging in on the pilot. I think that part really particularly resonated. Um, all right, I'll give people just a few seconds. And where do you want to start? Okay, one question I think uh, uh, from early on when you're kind of setting up two big questions on the pilot. I think first is timing. There's a sense of, of how long you were able to invest and did you need to invest in each stage of that pilot, the planning, the sort of development, the testing? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's interesting because for this particular pilot, <laughs> um, I, I think that from the standpoint of product and engineering, we would, we would the timeline would not have been what we, uh, I don't think things, we would have chosen the way that things unfolded. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we had started to have some initial conversations um, at the leadership level about what we wanted to do, um, that we did want to um, uh, establish a pilot for this. Um, and we started to go down that road. And then as we were beginning to go down that road, one of our executives did an interview and, and put a date in the ground <laughs> unbeknownst to anybody we kind of like found out at the same time that 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 found so it wasn't ideal and so uh, you know it, it plays into what i was talking about before in terms of some of the pressure that the team will um feel around delivering against expectations and so it wasn't i it was not ideal and we did find ourselves in a position where we were scrambling a little bit because there was a lot of definition that just hadn't taken place yet and all of a sudden there's this date and the date wasn't that far off by the way and also there was a lot of work that we were already doing that had nothing to do with that right and so you know what i would say was that we did we tried to focus very heavily on really just defining what it is and what what the elements were that were critical to our being able to validate how we would support this business. Again, you know, our exercise was not in whether the pilot would validate if we wanted to do go into this business. We were told this is a business we want to go into. How would we do it? And so we just had to get really um, clear about what pieces were the must-haves that needed to be part of that. And so I would say we spent the most time um, on that, uh, especially up front, and that um, diagram that I showed that had the different um, buckets of that we needed to that we needed to, because that was like you know it was kind of like 
hey, we want to be in this business. Can y'all go figure out what that looks like? And it's like, sure. Like, but nobody had literally, no one had undergone that exercise. Like, how would this work? And so what, what, what is this business for us? And so that ended up being one of those like, product is going to have to do something that no one else is doing. It's not typically our job to do this, but if we want this to move forward, we're going to have to take the lead on that. Um, and then beyond that, you know, it was really the, the people across the product owners across our um, four teams really working together to make sure the pieces fit. You know, you, we couldn't do something in our CMS that our front end wasn't prepared to mm. handle. We couldn't do something in, uh, in the process of um, newsletter creation in our CMS that our that our ESP couldn't handle, um, and so that that was sort of the second area where most of the time. I mean, obviously there was a lot of actual development, right? But we had to really spend most of our time on the definition, what does success look like, what is critical to this pilot, and then subsequently to the MVP, um, given that we were on a particular timeline. I hope that I hope that's helpful. Yeah, and uh, along that line, so then when you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, like a, if a pilot fails in that situation, then is it the pilot fails if it doesn't give you the answers you want yeah. or it gives you answers you don't like? Yeah, <laughs> I think it could be either, right? And so you have to, I think you have to define to the point where I was saying before, if or how are your questions, you also have to decide is a failed, are we okay with a failed pilot? And that's part of that question. And, and it could be, it could be either of those things. And what I mean by that is that the failed pilot could tell you, we shouldn't be in this business because we can't you know, convert enough users to subscribers to make this make sense for us. Um, we can't recruit the right kind of authors to support the content that needs to be created for this. Um, we haven't, we don't have a defined way of leveraging our platform for promotion and other things. Those things could mean the pilot failed, meaning, it or I mean that could also be looked at as success depending you know if you're trying to validate right. if you're trying to go on that business that could be a successful pilot right um, but also I would definitely say that a pilot that does not tell you what you wanted to know um, I would call that a bit of a failed pilot because in that case, I would think that you were either not very good at defining what success looks like, or your pilot did not align with what you were trying to validate, right? Like if, you're, if your pilot doesn't, doesn't answer the questions that you needed answered, you might need to take a couple of step back, steps back to decide whether the pilot that you've um, outlined and designed actually was meant to validate the things that you were looking to validate. Excellent. Excellent. Also, um, along so as you designed the metrics and and what success looks like and what a failure would look like, were the stakeholders in that process or was there a communication out to them after? How were they sort of brought along? Yeah, no, it was very collaborative. Like I was saying, like, you know, there was a, at the leadership level, you know, we started to have conversations and that was across product, our editorial, our um, strategic growth, our consumer consumer marketing um, business and engineering. Um, and so it was across, we started to have conversations across all of those at the leadership level. And so there was constant communication and collaboration. This just wasn't something, as much as we say, you know, we'll, we'll term it as like product-led transformation. This again, the same, just as I was describing, it's not up to like any individual product manager to like go put their ideas down and come 
come up with the plan, like it's constant collaboration. It requires constant collaboration. And as much as it may be called product led, it doesn't mean that we're just putting, we're telling everybody else what, what's going to happen, right? Because the other, the other people that we're working with, like some of these are their business goals, right? They have goals around the growth of our business. They're, they have um, goals around what kind of revenue these things are going to drive. They have goals around how we, how and how many authors are we, we're going to recruit for these kinds of things. And so it, it, it's imperative that it be collaborative. Great. Okay. We've got lots of questions about prioritization. How did you determine what to pilot? How do you determine what to pilot next? Well, when you say pilot next, do you mean for that same thing or like a different thing? I'm going to, I'm going to make a guess here. So if someone wants to update their question, you can let me, but I think it's okay. what next, not within that same pilot, but what item would you looking to pursue next? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. Can you repeat the first half of it? So how did you prioritize that this prioritize. is the thing you should pilot now? And then how do you prioritize what you'll do next? <laughs> well, I think I answered this a little bit by the fact that we got a, a, a public statement of when we were- Yeah, that'll, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit of how we prioritized it. Um, but, but, you know, my answer to all of that is goes back to like the basic product principles apply, right? Like our job is to satisfy user needs or um, solve their problems in a way that supports our business goals, right? And so this aligned with the business goal, with the business goals of Forbes, um, as all of our product work does. We don't typically sort of go out in left field and start developing things that don't align with the stated goals for our business. And so that's how we prioritize running this particular pilot. I, I would say, you know, even if I take out of the mix that the whole date thing, um, it, it's how we prioritized that uh, running this pilot first. That being said, you know, for the size company we are, we have a pretty decent size product team. And um, it means that we didn't necessarily have to decide to pilot only one thing, right? So like I said, we, we launched our metered paywall only in November and the pilot for this launched soon after the beginning of the year, right? And so the metered paywall is also, even though it's a full implementation, it's kind of also considered a pilot because we really were just trying to validate um, consumer conversion um, related to the subscription products and what that would look like for our business. And so um, prioritizing this JE um, pilot really just tied to what are the goals of our business and how is product meant to, to support those goals. And that will also drive our decisions about what to pilot next. And, and we have been piloting other things, you know, some of those things that I was mentioning, like um, Forbes AI investor, you know, not only did we, are we piloting that as a subscription product, but we've also been experimenting with things like, what if we put a registration wall in front of all of the related content? Like, can that serve as um, a legitimate funnel into a subscription product? Is this an audience that will respond to that? Will enough people actually create an account in order to get access to this content? Um, and, and investor investing related products is a key area, um, that's consistent with our strong brand. That's an area that we want, we want to, uh, determine what makes sense for our business. So again, prioritization has to do with aligning with business goals. It also has to do with resources and all those kinds of things. But in these, in the case of, of really like deciding to sort of pioneer new offerings, products, tie it back to what the business goals are. Great. Excellent. All right. Uh, we have time for one more question. Uh, and this one I think is interesting is, uh, 
are there times that you use customer interviews or research instead of a pilot or in addition to a pilot in any way? How do you kind of bring in that uh, customer market research into the process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting because, you know, because of the size of our audience, it's, it's sometimes kind of difficult for us to really do that kind of high touch user research in a way that makes sense for us. But that being said, we, we absolutely 100% for a lot of these um, more niche and newer products have used that. And so the, the, the small business community offering that I mentioned, um, Compass, um, where we've even gotten to in our thinking about what that might look like and the incubation of that idea began with some of those user interviews. Uh, you may know that on Forbes, um, Forbes is known for lists, right? Richest people, best companies to work for, all of those kinds of lists. And if you make a list, you have a profile, whether you're a company, a person, um, a place, a, a college, you get a profile. So we have profile pages on our site. And we established some time back that there are audiences for which a premium version of that profile could be attractive for various reasons. And when I say premium, I mean something that they would pay to have a more enhanced version of that represents them. Um, and so we started that exercise with a group, um, our list um, for wealth advisors, uh, because there is really like a very clear value proposition as it, when it relates to like lead generation and, and visibility and that sort of thing. And so we decided we wanted to expand beyond that. When we got to the point where we were thinking that small business as a community was um, an opportunity for premium profiles. Um, we did we started to do user interviews. Like, what would that look like? Would if you're a small business owner or an entrepreneur, would you want a, a profile for you personally, or would you want one for your business? And so we really wanted to understand where the value would lie in that kind of an offering for the small business community. And what we found in those user interviews was that you know, where we had sort of envisioned um, premium profile or even just like a platform where people could maybe connect with each other, what we got was, uh, I mean, I might get one, but I probably wouldn't pay that much for it because it would just feel like another LinkedIn profile that I just need to maintain. I don't know if that is the thing that I really need. I definitely don't need one added place where I'm, people are going to be DMing me or I need to, you know, really connect with people on an individual level. And so a lot of the feedback that we got in those user interviews has informed where we are in the conversation now, which is Compass as a platform where it is to cultivate help to cultivate that community, but the direct messaging piece, not that important. The um, being able to get uh, valuable content from people who've done it before is very important. Um, providing information about options for funding, right? We're not talking necessarily about VC funding. Sometimes it's like, I need to know what small business loans exist out there. And, and it's a, I don't know if anybody here has ever sort of swum in those swam in those waters, but it's complicated and it's not really that, it's kind of like looking for scholarships, right? Like you don't necessarily know what's out there. Um, and so a lot of that feedback, again, has informed where we are in terms of incubating that idea. And that will inform where we go with a pilot. We have actually started to spec out a little, a mini pilot, um, which would be a series of five um, sort of educational events, like uh, like something like this, right? Um, with some luminaries um, that can speak to very specific 
things about scaling up your business. If you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, how do you scale up? And each one of them would take a different topic. And that offering will help us validate if this is something of value to this particular user um, profile. And we can build from there, but it's a mini, it's like a mini pilot. Like, and also will they pay for it? Is it valuable enough for them to pay for it? So um, that's just one example of how those user interviews have really, really shifted the direction that we were going in when we thought all we wanted to do was create a premium profile. Awesome. Ebony, this was a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm so glad. My pleasure. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us. Uh, our next product chat will take place uh, Tuesday, October 26th with Lindsay Hunt, Director of Product at TaskRabbit, formerly of VRBO uh, and Expedia. Uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, have a great rest of the week and, uh, and we look forward to uh, seeing the great products you all build. Thank you. <laughs>